Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running the 5e adventure Scarlet Citadel by Kobold Press. This work, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to a dedicated Discord server, the City of Arches sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a bunch of exclusive adventures, the, the monthly Patreon Q&A, and all kinds of other stuff that we now have a new hero tier if you want to give a little bit more you can become a hero of sly flourish and join on the hero tier level as well you can find all of that on the sly flourish patreon site there is a link to that down into in the show notes below to the patrons of sly flourish and to the heroes of sly flourish thank you so much for your outstanding support so last week, I think now I've had two weeks where I haven't had a Scarlet Citadel game. I've just had, I've had one player who's been out of the country, two, two players that have been out of the country. And I've had, and then other people couldn't come for other reasons. So last week I was ready to run, even if I only had three and I only had two. So we had a really nice chat about RPGs and D&D and games and stuff like that. And that was really, really kind of fun to just enjoy enjoy a conversation. But it means we didn't run a game. So the good news is that means my prep from last week should serve well as my prep for this week as well. And gives us some time to kind of ponder the adventure and maybe look a horizon, a look of a horizon out or so, kind of see where we think things are going and dive in a little deeper into the stuff that we were into the stuff that I was planning to run last week. So let's take a look at our session. So last week I had my notes for five March. It is now 12 March. I'm just going to change the date, right? And I am going to still kind of go through and take a look at what I've got. So I think, I know I've got one player who's still out, Sharon, who plays Mez, is still out of the country this week. But I think, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody else that said that they're going to be out. So I'm hoping we may have as many as five. I wouldn't be surprised if we have more like four. If somebody can't make it, but we'll, we'll see. And those characters for that, that could attend are Bart, played by Jay, who is a gear-forged bard diplomat who loves to negotiate and loves to... He's, a, he's, he's big on the crowd control side, which is something to think about from a lightning rod perspective. How can we, how can we put interesting monsters out there that are crowd controlled. And I'll tell you one trick. So let's talk about lightning rods just a little bit. What, 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 is, what is a lightning? If you're not familiar with the, the concept of lightning rods, a lot of times, so, so different characters have different abilities that work well against particular types of monsters. And a common, an example would be fireball. Fireball works really well against large amounts of small monsters. It works well against lower challenge rating monsters that have usually fewer than 28 hit points, which means when you throw a fireball on them and they fail their saving throw, they die. That is an example of a spell that works really well against a particular type of monster. Now, some GMs might look at that and say, you know what? I don't want them to blow away all these monsters, so I'm going to make bigger monsters. And then the, they can still fireball them, but like maybe I'm going to use like tight corridors so that they can't really do a fireball really effectively, or I'm going to use bigger monsters so that if they get fireball, they're okay, or fire-resistant monsters and stuff like that. There's sort of an antagonist approach to that. And then the concept of a lightning rod is instead of trying to come up with monsters that are better able to defend themselves against powerful character abilities, you put monsters in place that are specifically there to be taken care of by these powerful abilities so instead of having guys that are fire resistant or have more hit points or setting up scenarios where fireball doesn't work which you could still kind of do on occasion you don't want just fireball all the time but also think about like how can i set it up so that there's lots of opportunities for the character to drop a fireball on a lot of dudes that are low hit point all at once so they can really feel like they did like 
500 points of damage over a whole bunch of different characters. So, you know, so that, you know, that, that, that can work really well. So the idea of the lightning rod is to put monsters in place. When you know that the characters, certain characters have certain abilities they really like to see work, put monsters in place that work with those abilities. And with a controller style, somebody that likes to cast charm person, somebody that likes to cast like hypnotic pattern, somebody that likes to cast things that aren't damage dealing spells, but control. One big way is to make sure you don't have just a smaller number of big monsters that are affected by this. And if you, because because if you if you continually and or or go ahead and and do it and know that's going to be the case. But a lot of times with these sort of abilities, sort of like if you think about like Banish and Polymorph and the big sort of like the big removal spells, right? The way to deal with big removal spells is not have non-legendary creatures, not have a small number of big but non-legendary creatures. Or if you do, expect that they're going to get hit with this. In my Rime of the Frostmaiden game, for example, I had a battle where they were fighting one of the aspects of Oral. And I also had her rock flying around and i knew the rock is the thing to control that oral has legendary resistances you're not going to be able to drop like a polymorph or a banish on her and get it to land but the rock can absolutely be controlled with like a polymorph or a banish and i tried to like project the fact that there was this huge creature that wasn't legendary that was flying around doing tons of damage had ton of hit points they're not going to want to fight it they're not going to want to do 250 damage to this one giant thing and instead like that's something you want to control now, I got lucky in my Scarlet Citadel game where Bart cast, uh, I threw a whole bunch of whites at the characters and Bart threw Hypnotic Pattern on like four of them. And that got rid of like half of them at once. But it was okay because it was still really challenging just fighting the other four. Another example is that Bart cast Charm Person on one of the two Shaman of the Trollkin. And that actually turned the Trollkin encounter from a big battle to a role-playing encounter. Even though he hadn't even, he only charmed one of them. It, it pushed her enough to sway the rest of them to like, let's hear these people out. And that ended up becoming a really good, that became a really good role-playing encounter instead. And I had hoped, I had hoped it would turn into a role-playing encounter. Only now it looked like they did it on their own and they did do it on their own, right? They, they found the way. That's the other thing is like, we can set up situations where we're like, I hope the characters will do something to do X without knowing what they're going to do. Just kind of knowing that you have that in mind of like, oh, I, I, I hope that they have some way to control all these guys. I don't know what they're going to do to control them, but I hope they have a lot. So with Bart in particular, thinking about like the lightning rods that are going to work well for Bart, it really comes down to like having things on the table that are sort of weak willed that can be controlled. Either, again, areas of effect, sort of like Fireball, where, you know, if you have a, a group of people that can all get hit with a hypnotic pattern, that works well. Or if there's like certain creatures where a, a charm or something like that is going to work well on them and you want to you want to do something like that. A lot of times when you look at a character and you're like, wow, they really have an ability that's that's powerful. What do I do about that? The answer is almost always more monsters that just put more monsters in play. I've talked about like the lazy encounter benchmark. And one way to scale the lazy encounter benchmark up for things like really powerful characters or really good synergy or really good magic items is just pretend there's more characters than there actually are. You know, if you have a monk that just loves stunning strike and is managing to control everybody by using stunning strike all the time, just treat them like there's one other character. If you have a druid, you have a moon druid that's able to 
get um, effectively a lot of extra hit points and 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 tank a whole lot more than like you would think they could do, particularly at low levels. We'll just treat them like they're two characters, right? And just and and that way, and they kind of act sort of like two characters. They have a, if characters have a lot of actions that they can take. If you have sorcerers that are twinning spells and they're really effective at it, they're kind of like two characters. So just scaling up horizontally by saying instead of five, I'm going to pretend it's six. That can work. And and often the, the response to that is probably more monsters. Put more monsters on the table. Put a couple out there that you don't expect are going to last the whole battle. And then project which though they are. One of the thing with one of the tricky bits with somebody like a controller like Bart, they almost always want to hit like the boss. Right? They they want to try to get rid of the most effective the most effective monster. And it, that's where I think it's it's safe to say you don't think that you're going to be able to land this spell that they're either going to be really resistant to it or they have legendary resistance or you don't think you're going to be able to land the spell on it but you do think that those doofuses over there they don't look too bright and you think that it's going to work pretty well on them so you can kind of steer the spell you know try to steer the character to use the spell on the guys that are lightning right it's a little manipulative right it's a little bit you know you're you're kind of presupposing a little bit but between dice rolls and saving throws and everything else, I don't think that's out of hand. And you are saying, like, you get to do this thing, and it's actually going to be cooler if you do it over there than it will be if you try it over here and have it fail, even though it's the boss. So that's that's really a trick. The other one is now that the characters are, I think they're sixth level. Did I write that? I think I wrote that in there somewhere. I think they're sixth level. Oh, they're, fifth, they're only fifth level. Whoa, they really need to get to sixth level. Um, I guess they're going to get to sixth level when they get the crown. I would probably do that. Once they recover the crown, they'll get to sixth level. And fifth level, they don't have too much shenanigans. Seventh level, boy, they get a lot of shenanigans, right? Seventh level is when I, I've, I have found that when characters hit seventh level, they, there's a lot of new BS. And that's things like polymorph and things like banishment. And there's a lot of big removal spells that show up. And that's when you really need to rethink, like, don't have a boss that isn't legendary, right? If you ever have a boss monster that shows up, like, they're going to get polymorphed in one shot. They're going to get turned into a rat. And, and so you almost always need to have some kind of protections on them. And I need to think about that for the bosses of Scarlet Citadel, that the, 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 there's two kind of two big bosses left. There's a couple of really big monsters left, and they might be legendary too, but there's certainly a couple of bosses left. And that's Immorta the Debased and Gellert the Gruesome. And both of them, I think, are going to either have something like Ion Stones of Absorption to be able to eat spells that target them. They might have like Rings of Mind Control or Rings of Mind Protection and stuff like that. Or it might just make them plain legendary monsters. You just add legendary resistances to them and, th and then they have an ability to, to, to deal with that. And you might describe like weird, unique magic items they have that sort of given them, give them legendary resistances might be, might be a good way to do it. But it's like you're going to have to fight them down. You're not going to be able to charm them or do something like that. So that's Bart. Doran Greycastle, played by Joe, is a shade fighter sorcerer, former adventurer of the Forgotten Realms that has made their way to Midgard by, by way of dying and is looking to try to find their path back to the, wherever they belong, whether that's in another world, whether that's in the land of the dead. It's not really clear, but they're kind of going on this quest here in Midgard to try to find the path of where they should be. And they have a strong connection to Mez, to Roomseleth, who has not, the player hasn't been here in a little, in a little bit. The player's out of town. And Mez is trying to make sure that the body of the, of the person that Dorne has inhabited, a body of a person named Potter, is not completely destroyed. And, and, and it has been getting slowly completely destroyed the longer that they've been, <laughs> the longer that they've been exploring the Scarlet Citadel. The, <laughs> the fun bit is like he got burned really badly, I think, at one point or had like terrible stuff happen. And Mez took some trollkin hair 
and and gave him like this great like half his head has this beautiful troll hair and the other half is like all scarred and nasty and then she's trying to like keep him together him being disemboweled by a lich hound was the most recent one and she had to like replace that so it's very that's been that's been a very good time i've been i've been enjoying that that little bit of role play garble played by pat is a mushroom folk rogue far traveler with a very straightforward storyline that i enjoy very much which is finding a home for his family that as a mushroom folk he's looking for a nice damp place that is safe and 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 effective and and nutrient nutrient rich for him to be able to for them to be able to put down their roots for their family so that's a fun one and and it's always like why is there a big mushroom following you guys around it's always a really good really good thing amez i talked about sister malarkey jones played by jerry sister malarkey jones a follower of the weird weaver and she kind of rolls randomly to see where she's going to go and see what she's going to do and she ended up getting connected with skrink skibbards who is also connected to the weird weaver the two of them have this strong connection to the weird weaver and they're trying to basically reset chaos back to where it should be because chaos is getting swayed i represent the weird weaver by a big d20 right a big 20 sided die that in, in game is this like big monument that that rolls around and so there's been lots of fun going on with that and skrink skibbers a rat folk wizard occultist who got sacrificed in zobek by cultists and ended up being awoken by the weird weaver to say hey i've been trapped you need to come here down to scarlet citadel and untrap me break break the bond so that that chaos can ride the the, the, the way the way that it works so that those are the characters for today's game i had already set up a strong start that there was going to be a big pile of treasure among the dead whites that there was a bunch of dead whites a bunch of the characters i don't know if it's three of the six characters are are taken over by white sickness so we'll say some of the characters because it's different now some of the characters are overtaken by white sickness i.e I. why these characters are sort of out of play another little trick if players can't be there just let their characters fade away don't come up with you don't have to come up with a bunch of crazy reasons to keep a character in the game or to describe why the character disappears and then comes back everybody knows why it's happening and our stories don't in my my opinion our stories don't have to be so tight that there isn't an opportunity for a character to sort of fade away and fade back in just that's what most people do by the way i did a poll a while ago and then the poll i said how do you deal with it and most of the dms that answered the poll the, the number one i don't know if it's most but the number one most likely thing that people did is they just let the character fade out and fade back in it's just easy to do so don't don't sweat don't sweat trying to figure out how to, why a character is there so i'm saying white sickness so what it scenes are going to occur today again like i think about scenes i had a conversation on discord on the i was on i had a conversation on the shadow realm shadow shadow dark rpg where they were talking about like can the eight steps support shadow dark and somebody was arguing that like the eight steps don't really work for shadow dark because they presuppose the direction that you're going to take because of the scene step and i tried to make sure that we understood that the scenes are the scenes that might occur they're just an outline for me to think about the general direction the game is going to go they are not presupposing how the game is going to go they are helping me understand what i might need to prepare for when i'm doing my prep for my game and they're really there to make me feel good do i feel good about the game do i feel like i have control feeling like you have control is, is more important than having control and it's better than not feeling like you have control so the scenes is really a feel good step it's, it makes you feel like you're organized even if during the game it could go in many different directions and all of the other steps all seven of the eight other steps are designed around the idea that you don't necessarily follow the scenes that they might go in different directions so finding the treasure because they, they started off in the vault oh i should pull up the map i am using owlbear 2.0 the the beta i think it's still in beta is it still in beta does anybody know the owlbear 2.0 beta for my maps and i like it very much i am i'm i'm very happy with it it is it is it took a little bit for those who have not 
for for those have who have not either tried using Albert 2.0. It's a learning curve to go from Albert 1, which was very, very dirt simple, to going to Albert 2. And two things have occurred. One, I've gotten better at it. And two, they've, they've made it a little easier to use. So a lot of the functions that exist in Albert 2.0, now I'm used to. And now and it's, and it's very fast for me to use. I, I find it to be a, to continue to be a very lightweight, a very lightweight VTT that, that, that serves me well without getting in the way, which is, which is hard to do. So here we go. This is where the characters were before. So they're in these vaults now. This is where they're starting off. They just fought a bunch of whites. They had they had hoped to take a rest here and found they weren't really able to because this whole place is cursed. But they they did manage to they did manage to defeat all of the whites. It's probably still I mean the funny bit is like maybe now it is a safe place to rest now that they've defeated this area but i think the idea that like no it's still haunted here and you're always going to be dealing with you know you, they're like turns out resting inside the middle of a dungeon not not the safest place to to go rest that you might actually need to leave the dungeon and go find a place and then go ahead and drop up a drop up a lehman's tiny hut you know lehman's tiny hut probably works better out in the woods than it does down in the middle of a of a dungeon when you haven't explored every room in it that's certainly the case and that's probably a thing to, to describe where to rest in the scarlet citadel new lessons right new lessons in resting in the scarlet citadel so they're going to find a bunch of treasure and i think i stuck the treasure let's take a look i think i created a bunch of yeah so we got lots and lots of gold right we're gonna have 300 3016 gold pieces we're just hitting the tier two levels of treasure and there's a huge jump in treasure from tier one to tier two so they are filthy filthy rich now Three thousand gold pieces in gems and jewels and stuff like that 1500 gold pieces in art objects Scroll of protection from good and evil. Ring servants, ring of evasion. I thought that would be a fun, that'd be a fun item. We can go ahead and link that. Ring of evasion, a communal flute, which is in the book itself. I will probably pull that up. The black and white daggers and Hildur's war pick. I think, did I decide to drop Thor's hammer and the gauntlets? I think that those are objects that I'm going to, well, let's see. It was a tomb of Thor. You know, I, 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 I can't remember if I decided that I was going to drop this in here or if I wanted to move it to another area. I think it might be better to hold that off and put Thor's hammer. Like maybe there's a hint that Thor's hammer used to be in this tomb, but has been moved and is now in the other tomb where Loki's Loki's stuff is. I think that that might be, I think that that might be better. So I'll probably, I'll probably do that. I think I'll move. And that might be a secret that I probably haven't, 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 done yet which is thor's hammer and bracers been moved to another tomb they used to be stored here in the in thor's chamber but somebody moved them and i think that was like maybe a loki priest or followers of loki probably moved these you know, move these things. Oh yeah, I like the idea. That's great, Scipio. Like, you know, little notes in a museum that this, this, you know, Thor's hammer is temporarily offline. That'd be great. Hey, my mom is here. Hi, mom. So I think that that would be, that would be pretty great moving, moving those along. So I got a bunch of treasure, right? And, and I think we're going to do everything up through Thor's hammer and the gauntlets of Ogre Power and the helm. That way there's three juicy magic items they get later. Once they require, once they acquire the helm, I think that's when they're going to get to level six. I need to get these poor bastards to level six. It's ridiculous. Like they're, they're, the stuff they're fighting, the difficulties they're having, keeping them at level five is just mean. Now, on the other hand, if like if you really want things to be a challenge, 
one way to make it things a challenge is keep them low level. <laughs> the lower level they are, the bigger the challenge. But I think I know modern players. I refer to them as modern players. And, you know, they want to level up. They want to get new stuff, right? They, they have 20 levels of things to do, and they want to see those levels. So, so level them up. That's my feeling. I mean, you know, different, different style of games, anything like that. And they're definitely game. This one, they've been, they've been at low levels for a long time. And many, many times it's been many sessions. Now, of course, we missed two sessions. So you don't get leveling from sessions that don't happen. That's, that's, that's what I'll say. So they're going to get the treasure. They're going to talk about safe, pondering safe places to rest. They're going to travel to the Clacking Chasm, and then they're going to work on recovering the clown of, crown of Loki and then travel to level four. Now, when people talk about like, well, the scenes are very prescriptive and they talk about where you're going to go. Not really, because like, I don't know how they're going to investigate. I don't know how they're going to level four. They're going to they're going to follow it on their own. And level four has kind of its own its own sort of fun things going on. If we look at let's let's jump now to level four or no level three dash two. Level three is really big. Level three is four poster maps, I think. It's a it's a good size. It's a good size. So there's lots, there's these weird pools, right? There's two weird pools. There's these other little tombs that they can explore. I think we're gonna pretty much run those as is. I'm gonna I'm gonna refresh myself today. I mean, why don't we do it right now? Let's take a look at that the clacking clacking chasm clacking chasm stuff. So this is section three, part two. So we have the main passage. That's, that's, let's see if I use my little laser pointer, right? And what we'll do, let's go to the cloud. And I guess it's always going to be a little, so I'm using the fog of war. So you can't quite see it. Main cas main, main passageway is here. And the idea is that there is that this, there's actually a long tunnel that sort of connects it. So even though the level, the two level threes actually have a pretty good long tunnel. And I think it probably descends downwards. I think that's something that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about. Carved up by the dwarves and set aside for tomb of their heroes, used a, used a chain of natural caverns at the central core of the crypts, and then cut rectangular chambers in the side. Dwarven redoubt was never entered by the Knights of Kors, so most of the tombs remain sealed. That's a good secret. We should we should grab that secret and make it a clacking chasm. Oh, line breaks. I really need a, I don't know, a hotkey that gets rid of line breaks. Like it didn't even work. And it got rid of one line break, but not both. It's because there's like when you when I'll tell you whenever you grab out of a grab text out of a PDF, all kinds of weird stuff goes on. Area that the dwarven readout was never entered by the Knights of Course, so most of the tombs remain sealed. That's a good secret. A good thing to pick up. Influence of the Black River is felt here. It's worked its magic on the dead occupants of the tombs. And I think that that's something that that's something that Joe's character, whose name escapes me. Dorn. Dorn is definitely going to feel that, that like the Black River. You can feel that he's getting closer to the Black River here, which brings up a good question of when he actually gets down to the Black River part, what are they going to do then, right? Like we have this area down in the lower right corner and that's sort of a, a tributary of the Black River. I have a feeling that the adventure sort of changed what this is, that this was originally a connection point and then they kind of changed it to not be a connection point. And I don't, I don't know... You know, I don't know what to do about that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that part. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The pair of pools that float in the middle, that's really cool. The main passageway from the door to connect to the tunnel, the door and barracks, the passage slopes downwards. And they said that there was like, a, there are exits to it, but we also have those. I think the exits were there to be like, well, how the hell do the dire owlbears get out? I don't know if I'm going to worry about revealing that because I, I it, you know, I think it works better that there's just a set of stairs. They can go back to the, if they want free passage sort of out of the dungeon and down to this spot, they can do so through that stairwell, but then they are always going through the Trollkin area and that way they have to keep being nice to the Trollkin. I think that that works well. 
The Glowing Moss Cavern. The main feature of this cavern is a pool of water flowing midair. This is, let's see, where's the map? It helps that the maps are sideways. So that's the bottom most map is 20 and the top most is 21. And this is the pool where when you enter it, you're actually going to another world and there are treasure. There's treasure down there that you can go and hunt for, but you got to worry about the pressure. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on in here. And I think it's, it's going to be really fun to explore. It's tricky. And, and again, look at that text, right? They, they sure haven't, you know, one room, CR, the, like the room 320 has a quarter of this page, all of the following page, and then half of another page, and then a little bit. <laughs> like It's like three pages long. It's crazy long. And, and it's because there's like what, you know, what happens in the pool. But I think the main thing is like, well, it's a pool to another world and you have to worry about entering it because they will, you know, they could, you'll, you'll be suffocated from the pressure. So you've got to do like a, I think the, the key to this is you have to get a big, there's a big winch, I think, if I recall. That there's a, yeah, the important feature mounted to the ceiling. There's a bronze pulley. The bronze is darkened the same color as the stone. The position of the pool makes it difficult to spot. DC 15, 25 feet above the cavern floor. And if you want to pull the treasure up. So one thing, I might split that treasure that I had because they're going to get a bunch of treasure in here. Yeah, they get 5,000 gold pieces. They get a ton of treasure here. So maybe maybe we're going to take the cash treasure that I had here. And I think we're going to move this into the pools. And that the treasure they find in the other places, I think will not be monetary treasure. I think, I think that that will work better. But I think they have to find a... So they have to find the, 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 the hook, right? The special hook in another area. And I think that through some, through some investigations, they'll probably find out there's like another piece of this that, that has to work. But figuring out that pool could be kind of fun. And there's another pool, but I think it's even more dangerous, right? It's got a giant octopus in it that, that comes out, thrashes around, and then explodes from the pressure. And I think it's super cold. Yeah, this one is a super cold. This one goes to a whole different area. So that could be fun. So those are those two big, the big pool areas, which are these dimensional pools that go to other, other parts of the world or other planes. And that's where they've stashed their, that's where they've stashed their, their stuff. So that's kind of neat. Then the clockwork tomb. And where's the map of that? So that's the bottom most. Clockwork tomb is, is down here. I wonder if they're going to be, they can be pretty completionist about this. Another clockwork Myrmidon. Man, I've thrown so many of these guys. I think I want to throw, I think we're going to throw like a, a spider construct or something instead. I have those like, I mean, they're, they're, it's the monster I made for, 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 I think Tome of Peace or the Creature Codex. Let's, let's drop into, let's go find out what that is. Go to Mike's Monster Database. And here are the, that's the holding pattern. Why did the holding pattern keep resetting? Aha, that's why, because I couldn't lock it. So here's my monster database, and I'm going to look for, I think the sources were, I think it was a codex. It might have been Tome of Beast 2. I'm pretty sure it wasn't in Tome of Beast 1. And the type was construct. And it was relatively, we have a clockwork abomination. That could be kind of fun. Dreadwalker Excavator. So the Dread, Dreadwalker Excavator was my my const my my toma beast two creature and what is it? it's got two four leg attacks and it can do an an excavating beam attack so that's pretty cool and i think i'll probably let it do 
you know, a mix of a mix of both. It could do a four leg and an excavating beam and maybe does more four leg attacks. So that would that would be a fun I think that would be a fun monster to throw in there. Single CR5 monster. It could put two. Could have two excavators in there. Because we have five fifth level characters. Adding all their character levels together is 25. Divide that by two is 12-ish. And so I could throw two at there and it wouldn't be deadly. I could have them be smaller than large. Although that chamber is not, not, I mean, it's a pretty narrow chamber. So maybe they're sort of like medium-sized mechanical spiders. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. We might drop two of these guys in there. Two of these guys would be a good fight. It'd be a hard fight. And do that instead of the... Do that instead of the Myrmidons, because they fought Myrmidons to death. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to duplicate this, and we're going to see. We're going to put an EOTG next to it, and then in view, this is in our EOTG holding pattern. So what that does is now, if I look here, I've got, this one should should have had it. How come it doesn't have it? Oh, because I put in the wrong one. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, that's not EOTG. That's SC. And we put it in our Scarlet Citadel, whoops, Scarlet Citadel holding pattern. And now if I go to my notes, there it is, Dreadwalker Excavator. Yeah, so now I can throw a couple of those guys at them and that can work. I did put the Clockwork Myrmidon in there, but I don't I don't know. Well, we, we can keep him in the holding pattern. And we have a Gargant the Gargantopus and a Giant Octopus. We, we These are all things that we had set up last time. So that's all good. Let's let's look through. So they've got another clockwork tomb, and they're in the the, the clockwork Myrmidon is inside the tomb, and they've got more treasure in here. So you can see that there's more treasure. I don't really think I need to load up that other one with treasure because there, there's already so many. An effigy tomb would be thieves. We're disappointed by what they found. Sarcophagus contains stone effigy of a body represented dwarf who was slain in combat. Real bones of the 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 dwarf decked out in studded leather armor. That's kind of fun. You go into a tomb that had been robbed. The elemental tomb. This one has an air elemental in it. And did I, I think I've already put an air elemental into my monster list. There it is. Very good. More, more gold. And that, oh, so here is, she's arrayed in chain bronze and clutches a plus one Warhammer. That one plus one Warhammer could be the Warhammer Thor. If we want to move that in there. Because we need more than one Warhammer. Either that or maybe we'll change that Warhammer to a weapon that somebody else can use. Not sure what. Maybe a, I mean, a, a wand of the war mage is always nice. The idea that it'd be like an elemental wand would be kind of fun. Let's take a look at wands. Why is there no, oh, there it is up there, wands. And we'll do, I don't want to, I'm going to just do basic rule wands. Binding enemy detection fear fireballs. Fireballs is pretty good. Lightning bolts is not bad. A wand of lightning bolts would be really nice. That's powerful though. I mean, the problem with the Wanda Lightning Bolts is when, why do anything else? It's really good, really good weapon, though. Wanda the War Mage, of course. Magic Detection, Magic Missiles, Paralysis, Polymorph, Secrets, Web Wonder. Wand of Wonder is always fun. Why not a Wand of Wonder? Wand of Wonder is a good time. So will put a Wand of Wonder. How do I click it in, like, the details page? There we go. So we'll change that up because we have a couple of spellcasters, and a Wand of Wonder would be a lot of fun. It's it's okay. It's a little too chaotic to be actually useful, but it is feels pretty powerful, so I think people will, will like it. Beetle Husk Chamber. Epic battle between armored magical wielding trollkin and swarm of clacker beetles. I think this is where if the characters advance in the chamber, they're attacked by clacker beater soldiers and clacker clacker beetle swarms. 
One of the things I have sort of wandering around that I wanted to add in myself that I thought would be fun is this, I wanted to do a tumor troll wandering around. That's, that's sort of the remnants of the trollkin that have been back here that, that survived would be kind of fun. So there's a potion of fire giant strength there. That's pretty good. The warlock's tomb. Do we have a warlock character? We do. Malarkey. So something that would help Malarkey a lot as a magic item would be a, a rod of the pact keeper. Everybody loves, but I think a wand of the pact keeper and maybe an upgradable wand of the pact keeper, a rod, really good for warlocks. But I think, I think an upgradable option for this would be that when Malarkey picks up one of the next stones that it could be attached to this and turn the rod into a, could also do like a chaos, some kind of chaos thing. Like essentially like once per day, you can get the equivalent of a luck die, right? You can sort of twist fate will be sort of fun. But the Rod of Pack Keeper already on its own does really great stuff. So that's probably fine. Bat Cavern Access, 331, hole in the floor. That's that uppermost that uppermost chamber. But the one, so where did I, I miss the Shrine of Karen. So this is the weird spot. So at the, the bottom of this place, there is a, there is this temple of the, of Karen that has a tributary of the river there. And you could have that directly go to the river passage. And does that, does that essentially skip the bat caverns? Like, that's what I'm worried about is if you do that, you sort of skip the bat caverns, which, so you have 331. There's a couple spots that go down to the bat caverns, but I think the bat caverns are separate from everything else. And I don't want to skip this entire level because like it's a, it's a fun level. And I can't remember if I decided that one of the, like this is where one of the final, I, I guess there are creatures here. So that's one thing is like, I could have one of the creatures that they have to fight would be above them in the bat cavern. So they, even though they're down here, there's, there's one in one tributary here. So this is like where the river itself flows. The other thing is they don't have a boat and they can't, if they wade into the river, they could, they could all just like lose themselves. But down here is where the, the creatures are that they have to defeat to get rid of the third icosahedron, to, to close the third icosahedron. And then of course they go all the way down and deal with Geldot the Gruesome. So that question is, what is on the bat cavern level that, that they have to, I think this is where I was going to have the, the last icosahedron, or, or the second to last is in 524. This is in Morda's chambers of Shogoth. And I think there's a number of creatures they have to defeat. So one of them is they could have to go up to the bat caverns to defeat one of the creatures is a possibility. And that would, that would work. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about that. I, I, it's that, it's that question of like, what happens when they get there? And I think like they can see that the river is there. The idea is, I guess the easy way is they don't have a boat. And if they try to wade in the river, like things will happen. They'll take necrotic damage, they'll lose memories, you know, they'll start to fall apart and not in a good way. So I think that that, I think it probably works best to kind of make it clear, like, you know, oh, this is a connection to the river, but we don't really have a way to traverse it. And, and hope they don't find a way to traverse it because if they do, then we're, we're jumping on an entire level. So I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to play that by ear. The, the way the, the book describes it is like, well, you could also have it just move in a circular pattern and it ends up right where they started. But that feels kind of lame. If the characters travel along this reach somehow, they'd have to swim, fly, or make a raft from scavenger material. The boat in this shrine is part of the stone statue. It links up with the Black River somewhere near the portion shown on the level five mass. There's no sensation to descending. So one thing is they could come here and go down to the Black River, essentially skip four once they've gone down there. But maybe they can't until they've actually been there. 
they don't know how to navigate it. So they could do that too. That's not a bad, I don't think that's a terrible way to do it. So, so that would be, that would be kind of fun. So I think we've got like a bunch of things for them to explore in the clacking caverns. The main point is that they're going to go recover this, the helm of Loki. It's a headband of intellect that's, that's possessed by a splinter of Loki. Uh, that gives people both intelligence, but also, you know, kind of takes them over a little bit. And I think that that will change the trollkin quite a bit. So that could be, that could be kind of fun. So I've got my, oh, one thing I wanted to do, let's see. Yeah, see the holding, the holding pattern didn't work. So let's, we're going to add a filter and that filter is going to be for view. And the view is going to be SC encounter. And we save that. And we're actually going to, Rename that. So I got my Zeraxxus encounter and holding pattern, Scarlet Citadel encounter and holding pattern, and my Empire of the Ghouls encounter and holding pattern. And then in the view, I broke my filter again. So what is this? What is this thing here? This is a view. This is a new thing I've been working on. I'm probably going to do another video where I talk more about it. You probably, I might have talked about it in other videos where I have a new thing that I'm working on. Oh man, look at this. I copied it. Called the 5e Artisanal Database. Is this the copy? This is the original. 5e Artisanal Database is part of the Notion Notebook. It's, it's a separate tool from my Notion Campaign Planner. Actually, I'm going to take a quick break. I will be back in a couple of minutes, and then I will talk about the Artisanal Database. The, Artisanal, the 5e Artisanal Monster Database is a thing I am tinkering with. I'm still tinkering with it, and it changes. It's still changing. Someday it'll stop changing, and, and then I'll probably do a video where I talk in depth about how it works. But I want to talk a little bit about it now because I'm using it for my Scarlet Citadel game, and that works really well. There is a link down to the, to the 5e Artisanal Database in the show notes below. And it's a database. It's a database of monsters. And there's an easy way to use it, which is just look up monsters. And then there's a more advanced way to use it where you can actually do these things where you set up lists of monsters that you might have in your game and then actually run encounters, run encounters using it, which is what I've got set up here. And it's actually something that I want to do with Scarlet Citadel. So the database itself, let me just show what it looks like. The database itself has a bunch of monsters in it. And we're gonna we're gonna close all these. I don't know. I guess I was looking at the direct monster database when I did it. I don't want to mess it up for anybody else. And you can look up a monster. You say, I want a Tarask. And you go up to the search and you look up a Tarask and you got a Tarask. So that's great. And you can and it has both the 5e SRD versions and the advanced level up advanced 5e monsters menagerie ones. So it has, for example, it has all four Cobalt Press books, Tome of Beasts 1, 2, and 3 in the Creature Codex, and has Level Up Advanced 5e, and it has the 5e SRD. All of those monsters are in it. So it's about 2,500 monsters. Lots and lots of monsters. So you can look for an individual monster. Balor, you want a Balor. Hey, there's two Balors. Hey, there's the Balor General, right? You want a Lich. You do a search for Lich. You get all the, all the various Lich-type things. That's great. But then you're like, okay, well, I also want to find some monsters. So you might say, for example, challenge rating. I want monsters that are between three and six, and you can type in three and six, and you get monsters between three and six, and you say, I want to find undead that are between three and six, and you get a list of the undead. I want to find undead between three and six that are more mainstream, so we're going to do A5E, and you get all of the undead monsters between C three and six that are in A5E, and you can click open, and it will side peek and give you the stat block for that monster. These stat blocks were all pulled from the data from these, these various systems. So the entire stat block is there and you can look it up and run it. So that's very basic, like, hey, I just want to look up monsters. I just want to see what's there. That is your, that is your way to do it. You can, you can sift, you can sort, you can search, you can filter, 
You can, you know, find all kinds of things and that's great. But you can also run, so you can prepare monsters for your game and you can run monsters in an encounter builder. And again, this is a little, you know, things are, things are changing here. So what I have here is I have a thing called the Scarlet Citadel Combat Tracker. So the one thing, if I can offer one piece of advice, I will really help you understand and use the 5e artisanal monster database. It's understand how database views work in Notion. They have these things called table views, and you'll see me, you'll see me do it. And table views are a way to look into a database that's somewhere else, like elsewhere in your notebook. And you can sort and filter and pick which fields are visible and make a sublist from another database that's still connected to the original database. It's a very powerful thing, and it's what enables this piece. So it's complicated. What I'm going to show you is complicated. You might have trouble with it. I, I have been spending a lot of time on it. I keep trying to figure out how to make it easier. I've never found a way. I haven't found a way so far. But here's how it works. So I have a combat tracker in my... I made a combat tracker page in Scarlet Citadel, and I have two tables. I have the combat tracker, which is actually what I would use when, when battles are going to occur. And you can see, like, not everybody's in there. That's weird. Where I wonder where they are. And then I have the holding pattern. The holding pattern is any monsters that I'm just kind of bookmarking and saying, these monsters are ones that I may want to run in my own session. And in this case, I have a separate holding pattern view for each campaign I'm running. So I have a Scarlet Citadel one, I have an Empire of the Ghouls one, and I have a Light of Xeraxis one because I'm running three campaigns currently. And, oh, that's right. It only has three PCs because there was only three PCs last time. Good, good point. And now we have more, so we got to add more. And so the holding pattern is basically a view of the database that says, show me the monsters that are inside the artisanal monster database that have the view of holding pattern. And I, whenever I want to add a monster to the view of holding pattern, I add, I go into the view of that monster and I say Hold, holding pattern. Now the key is you'll see all these monsters have an SC next to them. That means they are, and the, the Warlock White doesn't because I made it on, I made it from scratch. That just tells me that that's my version of that monster that I'm using in my Scarlet Citadel game. The reason why I duplicate the monster is so that if I screw up with these records, I'm not screwing up the original records. I can delete these, I can add things to them, I can modify them, and I won't dork with the original ones that are inside the monster database. So that's the holding pattern. Then when I'm ready to run a battle, actually, let me add the other characters because it's bothering me. So we can do type character, get rid of humanoids. And source, we will get rid of source. And why is nobody showing up? So the sorts are fine. That's weird. I just, I might not have them. Except I have these guys. If I remove character, I should have everything, right? I must have, do I have a CR filter going? No. But why does this only have, see the monsters are limited. <sighs> I'm confused. Let's reset. Okay, so that's everything. And now we're going to do type character. There they are. That's weird. So these are all my characters across all my games. And so which ones do I need? Garble is part of my SC encounter. And Mez, we'll put in the SC encounter, but Mez isn't here. That's okay. And Malarkey is in there already. Oh, and Bart needs to be in there. So now, okay, so now I've got all the characters in there. Great. I don't know why. Weird. It was I mean, it must have been filtering from the other database, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. And now I've got all the monsters in the monster database being shown again. So whenever I am ready for a battle, let's say they're going to fight the air elemental, what I would do is I would take this air elemental 
and add it to the Scarlet Citadel encounter and it shows up. And then if I want multiple ones, I duplicate it. And now I've got multiple ones. Then we do initiative for all of them and then the whole thing sorts and then I can run my encounter from here. So that's kind of a quick way to do it. I'm, I don't need to do that now. So actually we're gonna remove this guy from the encounter and we're gonna delete this one because I don't need two. But that way I can run my encounter right here inside Notion and it works really well. I'm gonna do a whole video where I talk about this whole thing. If you wanna find out more, I wrote all about it in the instructions for the monster database. Another thing to note is this one's actually shouldn't be hitting. I think if we look at which database it's pulling from, it's, it's pulling from Mike's monster database, which is my local copy of the artisanal database. I don't wanna screw with the original one that I'm sharing with everybody. So I have two, I actually have three. I don't know why I have three. I think I, I was gonna mess. I remember why, but I don't want it. So I'm going to delete this. So this one I think is, I think this is a copy. Yes. So we're going to delete that one because I don't need a whole extra copy. There it goes. Goodbye. So this is the one that I'm sharing with everybody. And then I have Mike's monster database, which is my version. Mine has a little skull. The original one has a little book. And that way I'm not screwing with the one that fits everything else. So let's just do a quick look. Go back to Scarlet Citadel and look through my notes. But I think I'm all set today. I, I know my characters. I've got my strong start. I know what scenes we're going to do. I've got a whole bunch of secrets and clues. I guess I could do a quick review of these secrets and clues, which I didn't do. Thor's hammer braces have been moved to another tomb. Area the redoubt was never was never in the night. The Knights of Course never visited it, so there, many of them haven't been touched. Strange twisting the Weird Reaver is going on for hundreds of years, but it's getting worse exponentially. The longer the characters wait, the worse it could get, i.e. can't take a rest all the time. The twisting of the Weird Reaver and the ley lines of the area have torn open rifts to other lands and portals. That's how the Dusk Goblins got here, and that's what opened the portals in the pools to the east. I get, Yeah, that makes sense. The Trollkin fear the creatures in the tunnel to the east. Their own scouting parties had never returned. Most of the scouting parties were killed and eaten by clacker beetles. Some have however mutated into a tumor troll. Thor's hammer is part of a set that includes Thor's gauntlets, Yarn Gripper, Yarn Gripper. Factions of the Darrow war with each other in the lower levels. Some of the creatures tied to the third icosahedron are as old as the Citadel itself and more to the debased. Travels among the levels of the Scarlet Citadel, serving Gellert the Gruesome, Gruesome's needs, and liaisoning with the inhabitants of the other levels. And where the debased used the power of the third icosahedron. Tributary to the Black River Strix. So one thing about the tributary that I think we want to change is its current is chaotic and unpredictable. Chaotic and unpredictable are the same thing, right? One must travel the lower river to reach up to the upper tributary not the other way. So in other words, they can get on that tributary, but it won't take them down. Instead, it just circles around. But then if they go back up, they can go back up the other way. It's a one-way tributary from low, from the lower river to the upper river. The third echosahedron of the Weird Weaver resides in a chamber on the fifth level of the Scarlet Citadel off of the Black River. The fourth echosahedron resides in lower depths. Lower depths of Scarlet Citadel go with the gruesome as the air. Let's see, but I had the whole thing about the third echosahedron, the creatures powering the third icosahedron uh, are spread about levels three, about four and five. Fourth icosahedron resides in lowest depths. Go with the gruesome himself draws energy for his most powerful, most destructive icosahedron of the Weird Weaver. The Weird Weaver isn't a god of primordial or anything like that. Its shape and form is not humanoid like the other gods of Midgard. The obelisk with its floating icosahedrons is as close to a physical representation of the Weird Weaver as mortals are able to witness. Pretty good. And then I got my NPCs and my monsters and my treasure. So that all looks really solid. So I feel like I am prepared. I've now had two, two times where I spent basically an hour preparing for the game. So I feel pretty good about it. 
And uh, we're going to see how things go. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did and you want more stuff like this, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter where you get a free Adventure Generator PDF and a RPG-related email sent to your inbox every week with links to all of the other things that I do. You can also become a patron of Sly Flourish or a hero of Sly Flourish. You can do so by going to the Patreon page. The link is down in the show notes below. Patrons and heroes get access to all kinds of exclusive material, including a dedicated Discord server, a City of Arches source book, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a bunch of, you know, two books of piles of secrets to help you run your, your games, a bunch of free adventure gener- or free adventures, not free, a bunch of adventures, exclusive adventures for the Patreon, and all kinds of other things. Lots of little great gigaws and doodads and little things that you get. Little random tables and all there's all kinds of stuff. And you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy Dungeon Masters, the Lazy DM's workbook, and the Lazy DM's companion. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.